Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Alright, and so I'm concluding the Justice Series today, and no pressure, I'm just following uh, you know, a bunch of great, great speakers. You know, Jason Wong, come on. Yeah. Wasn't that amazing? Jennifer... Hang, uh, Nate, the missionary from Iloilo, Joy, and uh, Melissa. So great, great speakers who spoke. And uh, I'm just going to wrap up this great series. How many of you enjoyed this series? Yes. Yeah, I think it's so crucial and vital for us to really take hold of this uh, justice mandate. And uh, it's so big on God's heart. And I think it should be big on our heart as well. Yes? All right, let's pray as we begin. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that... Your word uh, calls us to a standard lifestyle that's beyond our own. Lord, we thank you that your word uh, does not only demand, but it empowers. That we can look to your word today for grace that empowers us for righteous living. Father, we thank you that your commandments come laced with your divine grace that empowers us. So God, we ask that indeed let grace be imparted to the hearers today. Let grace be imparted to all who hear the summons of God to all who hear this call of justice. Father, we ask that indeed, that let there be a new trajectory for this church. The Lord, we are begin to take your word, your call, and your mandate seriously for the sake of our lives and for the lives of other people. Lord, I know that it's not by persuasive words or eloquent preaching that lives are changed, but it's by your Holy Spirit. So Spirit of God, we ask that you will come, rule and reign, have your way in this place, stir our hearts, to the knowledge of who you are. Stir our hearts to respond to your word this morning. Ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Are you all ready? Yes? <clears throat> you know, justice is a really, really major theme in the Bible. You can't, uh, you know, say you have a lifestyle of reading the Bible without uh, reading upon or... Uh, glancing over the topic and the theme of justice. And the, the, the fun thing is that, or the scary thing is that, it unfortunately frightens and confuses a lot of people, this thing of justice. And, uh, you know, let's have these verses up. And in the Old Testament, we have all these verses. In Deuteronomy, it says, All of God's ways are judgment. The Lord loves judgment. He set up His throne for judgment. And these are big, scary verses. And we're like, whoa. Judgment, you know, all of God's ways are judgment. The Lord loves judgment and His throne is set up for judgment. And it looks scary on, on the surface. God loves judgment. His ways are judgment. Doesn't that sound just a wee bit unsettling? But God isn't saying that He loves the English word justice or judgment. I believe He's saying something else. And uh, we, we talked about this in the first week that the Hebrew word for justice is actually the word Mishpat. Everybody say Mishpat. 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 Okay, do you feel smarter? Mishpat. And Mishpat shows up 425 times in the Old Testament. 425 times in the Old Testament. And you can find the word Mishpat in 31 of the 39 books in the Old Testament. And that's a staggering, staggering amount. But what does this word Mishpat really mean? How do we understand biblical justice or God's definition of justice? The, bless, the best place to start learning about Mishpat is understanding its root. The verb, shapat. Everybody say shapat. 
Shopat. <clears throat> now, Shopat, okay, can be translated to judge or to govern. To judge or to govern. And that doesn't sound, you know, all that amazing yet, but I'm not done yet. Shopat is not just about using raw power for the sake of power, like some politicians may do. In many places, Shopat is used to describe the prosperity brought about by the king's leadership. Catch that. The prosperity brought about by the king's leadership. The power of Shabbat is focused on creating right outcome, and that outcome looks like freedom and restoration. One way to say it is that Shabbat is an active, saving, rearranging, restoring of that which is broken. Justice is restoration. Theologian Bruce Walkie powerfully sums it up. Mishpat is to establish the heavenly norm or pattern on earth. Justice on Mishpat in its essence is restoring all things to the way God intended for it to be. Right order. Restoring all things to the way God intended for it to be. Right order. And now I know. It's still really boring. <laughs> but right order... I think we, we have to really capture the essence of what justice is. Justice is right order or the restoration of right order. When you look at the order that God created the physical world in, or, you know, with our bodies, the galaxies, the ecosystems and more, you see a structure that invites and sustains life. Do we? You see a structure that invites and sustains life. When something is out of order in the physical world, disease and death comes into play. His creation, okay, his intention for creation was wholeness, completeness, right order. And Mishpat can also be summarized as honoring and expressing God's intended order for all of creation. Now, scholars, when they read uh, about justice in the Bible, they put justice into two categories. There are two categories for justice in the Bible. One of, these, one of uh, the expression of justice, scholars call it primary justice. Everybody say primary justice. And the second expression of justice is reactive justice. Everybody say reactive justice. Now, reactive justice is simple to understand. It is to punish a wrongdoer, to condemn a wrongdoer, so on and so forth. It's reacting to one's wrongdoing. Reactive justice renders justice to a wrongdoer. What that implies, obviously, is that reactive justice occurs or is expressed to someone when there's infringement on justice, when someone is treated unjustly. And the implication of that is that reactive justice is not the only kind of justice. Right. What happens when a person is treated unjustly, okay, not appropriately, there is reactive justice. Punishment, condemnation, consequences. Right? And that says to us that this kind of reactive justice, justice as we commonly understand it, is not the only kind of justice that exists. There is a primary justice, and I'd like to put it to you, that the justice looks like right order, the way God intends for things to be. His standard. Does that make sense? Reactive justice becomes relevant when there's been a violation of primary justice. God loves justice. God has a heart for justice. God is devoted to justice. 
So it comes as no surprise that God says to seek justice, do justice, let justice roll down like waters, imitate me in loving justice. But is God speaking of reactive justice, punishment and condemnation, or is he speaking about primary justice, right order? Now doesn't those verses in the Old Testament take a different spin then? That all of his ways are judgment, that God loves judgment, that his throne is set up for judgment. Doesn't it now make sense to us that the justice that we are called to pursue as a community, as a faith community of people, is not reactive or retributive justice, but it's primary justice, the pursuit of the way God intends for things to be. Right order, the restoration of God's order. Justice is mishpat, right order, the way God intends for things to be. And the work of pursuing justice is partnering God in seeing all things made right, all things restored to the way He intended. And this is my sermon title for our last week of the Justice series, Justice, the Restoration of All Things. The Restoration of All Things. The Restoration of All Things. And uh, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you some closing thoughts on uh, justice as we wrap up this series. You know, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tie a little bow and you know, pull it tight and wrap the whole thing up. And uh, hopefully you leave here inspired and uh, charged to live a life of justice. But not only that, not that, I pray that this series serves as a launching pad for you to begin to have that conversation with the Lord on what justice looks like in your life and how you can effectively advocate, make certain life decisions, reorient your life to living justice. Am I making sense? Ken Whitsama, you know, I quoted him the first uh, week, you know, he's the founder of uh, something called the Justice Conference. There's a movement all across the world. He says this about justice. Justice is the single best word, both inside and outside the Bible, for capturing God's purposes for the world and humanity's calling in the world. Beautiful. Justice is, in fact, the broadest most consistent word the Bible uses to speak about what ought to be. To do justice means to render to each what each is due. It is based on the image of God in every person, the imago Dei, that grants all people inalienable dignity and infinite worth. Let me just read one of the lines once again. Justice is in fact the broadest, most consistent word the Bible uses to speak about what ought to be. What to be. When I use my earthly lens or my earthly understanding of what justice is, God looks like a scary person who establishes rules and statutes and if I infringe those, you know, he would, uh, there, there was punishment and consequence and I believe that it is valid to some degree. But as I understood more about justice and God's heart for it, my picture changed from an angry, faraway, law-obsessed God to a loving creator who will go to any length to restore relationship with his sons and daughters, to restore things to the way he intends for it to be. Our understanding of a matter is often framed by a reference point. Do we agree on that? Yes? Our understanding of a matter is often framed by where we draw reference from. And the same goes for justice. What is your reference point? For most of us, I think, believe for all of us, when we talk about justice and judgment, the reference point is the judicial system. Do we agree on that? Yes? But before I move on any further, I'd like to draw a distinction between earthly justice, the ju judicial system, and the earthly definition of justice that we are all familiar with, and biblical justice that we are talking about and pursuing as a community. Let's have these distinctions up 
First distinction is this, justice, earthly justice is static, idealistic, and codified. But biblical justice is dynamic, realistic, and creative. Next one. Justice is focused on how things should be done, making laws and enforcing them. But biblical justice is focused on what life should be like, creating shalom and enhancing all human life. Next difference. Justice is the responsibility of and done by a few. Biblical justice is the responsibility of and done by everyone. Next one. Justice belongs in the public, legal parts of the world. Biblical justice belongs in all parts of a culture. Next one. Jen? Oh, justice shapes behavior, but biblical justice, it shapes hearts. I believe we have one more. Justice is not doing wrong, but biblical justice is actively doing right and restoring what is broken. We have one last one. Justice is enforced by public agencies like the police department, courts, or lawyers, but biblical justice is taught to everyone. Taught to everyone. Taught to everyone. I said I was going to close uh, this series with a few thoughts, and here's my first thought. Thought number one is this. Biblical justice isn't an initiative. It is a personal commitment to living a just life. Biblical justice isn't simply an initiative event. It's a personal commitment to living a just life. We wake up every day and make about 50 decisions. We decide what clothes to wear, what food to eat, how to commute to work or school, how to treat our friends, family, and strangers, what to pray for, where to invest our money, and so on. Justice isn't simply an action. It's a lifestyle. And what a lifestyle essentially is, is a collection of decisions lived out over time. And that is what justice is. It's a personal commitment to living a just life. And this is the major difference between justice and Bible and our modern views of justice. Traditionally, it has to be enforced by institutions like the police force, court systems, and prisons. And this gives rise to the impression that doing justice is the responsibility of only a few people. But in the biblical world, justice was done by everyone and was everyone's responsibility. Because of that, justice was taught to everyone, not just enforcers. People took ownership of the wholeness of their community and if something was wrong, they worked to right it even if it wasn't their fault. Let's look at this passage scripture that we're familiar with, Micah 6, 8. It says this, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To do justly. Notice the wording. The passage doesn't say avoid injustice, refrain from injustice, don't do injustice. It says to do justly. And we have to pay attention to that wording. God invites and commands His people not just to be aware of injustice or avoid it, but also to pursue justice, to do justice. Justice reflects the character of God. Justice must also then be reflected in the character and lives of the followers. You know, I believe that there's a distinction between pursuing just doing justice and living justly. Doing justice for us might look like advocating for a certain initiative, coming behind it, giving money, volunteering. That's doing justice. I believe we've all done certain measures of justice. But I believe living justly is different, is distinct. 
Living justly looks like this. It looks like every area of life being above reproach. That looks like every area of life being aligned to the core principle and core value of justice. That means what I eat, what I say, what I do, what I pray for, where my money goes, what I watch, aligns with the core value of justice. That is what it means to live justly. I believe the pursuit of justice for us as a community should not be tied up in an initiative advocating for something, sowing into something, but it should extend into the way we live life. True spiritual formation and discipleship is when your whole life is reoriented to the purposes of God. Not just one aspect. Your whole life being submitted and surrendered to the statutes, principles, values of the Lord. And that's what it means to live justly. Are you following me? Often we embody our concept of justice or compassion or generosity when it's about us and about our power and privilege to do something for others. That's what compassion, generosity, and justice looks like for us. It's about power and privilege to do something for others without entertaining the possibility that maybe God wants to change us. Maybe God wants to change us. The inescapable truth about justice is that there is something wrong in the world that needs to be set right. But sometimes the things that need to be set right are not just in the lives of those we seek to serve, but in our own lives. I'm reminded of Jesus' admonition to deal with the log in our own eye before we try to remove the speck from our neighbor's eye. John Piper has this killer quote. He says this, When we use false balances or lie on our tax returns or misrepresent the facts in our dealings, we are declaring that the fleeting sweetness of sin is more to be desired than the everlasting peace of God. This is no honor to God and therefore no delight to his heart. Killer quote, John Piper. The truth is our culture has trained us to look for the dramatic, the spectacular. You might be sitting in your seats today wondering, hey, you know, I'm not a perpetrator of injustice. I don't live unjustly. I'm not the, the, you know, the slave driver. I'm not the drug dealer. I'm not a perpetrator of injustice. You might be sitting there and going, I don't do these acts of injustice. Our culture has trained us to look at the dramatic, spectacular. I'm not complicit in this. I'm not a perpetrator. But if we take a step back today and we look at justice simply as this, the way God intends for things to be, right order, then injustice could be as simple as the way we treat or mistreat certain people. It could look like walking past a person in need without offering them a shred of dignity. The way God intends for things to be. Any violation of that is by definition injustice. That making sense? The truth is, all have sinned and fallen short. All of us have sinned and fallen short. We who lust after women and consume pornography act by the same cause which drives human traffickers to exploit women and girls for sex. We who greed for that little bit more wealth, for that harder bargain, act by the same cause which drives exploitive employers and perpetrators of forced labor. We who perceive people different from us with disdain act by the same cause which drives terrorists to kill people who do not share the same view. We who say or do nothing about unfairness and injustice to people around us act by the same cause which resulted in the Holocaust, the genocide of about 11 million Jews and Poles. The worst news is that those of us who try 
to rectify injustice are oftentimes partakers of injustice ourselves. Henry Nouwen, brilliant guy, read his books. He says this, in fighting injustice, we will realize that the wounds and needs underlying the injustice we fight against are the same wounds and needs. Insecurity, bitterness, desire for affirmation, etc. underlying our own actions. We too are part of the evil we protest against. The cause for justice, it begins with you and me. Or as a great poet would say, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to make the change. No message could be any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make the... Na, 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 na. It's true. Start with the man in the mirror. Next thought, thought number two. Justice isn't always about doing something new. It's about aligning what we already do with kingdom values. It isn't always about starting a new initiative, new proposal, a new event, a new cause. But it's about aligning what you already do with kingdom values. And the truth is, you know, when we hear those speakers uh, over the last few weeks, we go, whoa, amazing Jason Wong, amazing Jen, amazing Joy, amazing all these people and all the stuff they do. And you can be really overwhelmed or daunted by this mission of justice. And you go, maybe it's just for these people, these amazing people who have time and connections and are just overall amazing. But what if justice simply looks like reorienting certain aspects of a life toward justice. It could be the one degree changes. Small ways, small things that we can do. Instead of being overwhelmed by the massive call that is justice of God established in all the earth, think of how you can add value and contribute to that grand vision in your own small way. What are small steps you can take? There are all sorts of statistics out there about how destructive small unconscious habits can be when lots of people are doing them. It can be daunting to look at all the parts of your life and sort through them all. So take one portion of your life at a time and consider whether there are any habits you could adjust. Are your everyday eating, drinking, transportation and shopping habits reflecting justice and righteousness? If not, what do you think is a better option? What are habits you can change so that justice and righteousness are integrated as normal habits in your life? Analyzing and changing everything at once is overwhelming and probably won't last long Anyway, but small one-degree changes taken a little at a time add up to big changes. It's your lifestyle reflective of one who pursues and believes in God's justice, right order. What will expressing justice look like in your arena? What are the unique opportunities that are present to you? What injustices have you seen that you have willingly turned a blind eye to? What areas of your life are they in desperate need of a reorientation? This is the third thought. Justice is not worship when it's done out of pity or sympathy. It's worship when it's done in response to the heart of God. You know, I, I, I read a verse um, my first week of, of, of speaking. I read from Amos 5. He says this, Away with the noise of his songs, I will not listen to the music of harps, but let justice roll on like a river, Righteousness like a never-failing stream. And you know, I made this uh, distinction between worship and justice. And I charged the church to, hey, let's get this justice thing right before we talk about worship. You know, I don't believe that justice is distinct 
from worship. If we look in that context of that verse that I just read, the works of justice is not distinct from worship, it's distinct from song, which is an expression of worship. I believe justice done rightly is an act, an expression of worship. The acts of justice coupled with the songs that we sing create the holistic nature of what worship ought to be. It's not just about songs, but it's about touching the lives of people around you. Justice is by definition an act of worship. If you think of worship as such, you know, worship is response to the revelation of God. It's responding to all that God has revealed. Then justice would be worship. Justice is response to the revelation of God's heart for worship, uh, for, for justice on the earth. I'm making sense. I'd like to make a couple more statements on that. God is infinitely more passionate about justice than we are. You have to get that right. You're not twisting the arm of God to move. Sometimes we, we, in our prayers, we imply that we are more merciful than God. God, you need to do this, you know, like, you know. Hey, why aren't you, you know? Sometimes in our prayers, we imply that we are more merciful, more kind, more gracious than He is. He is infinitely more passionate about justice than we are. Second statement is this, that true justice originates from the heart of God. If your expression of justice is a byproduct of your own feelings, then it is undependable, fleeting at best. Our feelings come and go, and if we base our commitment to justice on our feelings, then our commitment to justice is as shaky and undependable as our feelings. But if the heart of justice is caught in intimacy with God, then it is as certain as our communion with God. When our heart is intertwined with the heart of God, our heart will truly begin to break for what His heart breaks for. One translation of the word compassion in the Bible uh, seems to suggest that compassion looks like the movement of bowels. The movement of bowels. And we all know that the movement of bowels begins with a feeling. Yeah, you know, you feel something. But then that feeling compels you to release. Compels you to release, right? Compassion, if it stops at a feeling, isn't complete. Compassion begins as a feeling, but it compels you to release into an action. That's by definition what compassion is. Begins with feeling. The heart of God you feel for an issue, but it compels you into action. If it does not compel you to action, then my suggestion to you is that it's simply pity, sympathy, and that doesn't last. The moment you disconnect with the issue with the person, that feeling begins to flee. Another word for compassion in the Bible, it seems to suggest that compassion means to suffer with one another or to stand with one another. By definition, it will say to us that compassion cannot be done at a distance or from afar. Compassion means to suffer with one another and to stand with one another. True compassion can only occur in proximity. In proximity with the issue, with the people. That means that we can't truly exercise the magnitude of what compassion is just by giving money. It means that we have to engage with the problem be the hands and feet of Jesus to these people. 
to the issues that we see around us. And later, you know, we'll talk about a new initiative we have coming up that will help you with that. Thought four. Thought four is this. In all of existence, the greatest injustice is sin against God that results in the separation between God and men. There is no greater injustice that we will see in the world than sin against Almighty God that results in the separation between God and men. The church can't simply be about meeting social needs or else we have missed the point completely. If we are all about meeting social needs, then what difference are we from like an NGO or a non-profit? The church cannot be just about meeting social needs. We read about the Gospels and Jesus would feed the poor, but that was always a precursor to him preaching the Gospel. He would meet the immediate need and then address the infinite, eternal need. And as the church, we can't just be about feeding the poor. One man once put it to me that, Andre, what good is it for the church to just be about feeding the poor? That means, you know, we'll have a lot of filled bellies in hell (laughs) without addressing the big issue, salvation. Justice is not the end in and of itself. It's a means to an end. And the end is this, the reconciliation of God and man. And justice seeks after the restoration of all people, right order, restored, both victims and perpetrators alike. Both victims and perpetrators alike. It's tough because we look at the perpetrators of injustice and we go, hey, because of what you did, you ought to be damned to hell, get things cut off, you know, and you should suffer for what you did. But we often forget that in that conversation, we too, were once perpetrators of injustice. And some of us are still perpetrators of injustice in a subtle way today. But the grace of God is given freely to all. To all. And just like light illuminates darkness, the grace of God finds relevancy in darkness, in sin, and in depravity. I'm making sense. You know, I, I, I have a friend that does prison ministries and I shared this story before. He would go into prisons and he would take uh, a Bible that he wasn't using and he would go, you know, hey, some of you are murderers here and I want to sh- I wanna show you, I want to uh, show you, you know, uh, how God is able to use murderers. And he would open the Bible and he would rip out the pages of the Bible that were written by murderers. He would rip out the Pentateuch, the, the, the books that were written by Moses. He would rip out the Psalms, and you rip out most of the New Testament written by Paul, and then they have a really thin Bible. Maybe some of you will read a thin Bible. But, uh, and he goes, you know, look, look at this. Look at how much of the Bible is written by murderers, you know, and God is able to restore and redeem you. And these are people who have experienced the judicial system, justice that's reactive, punishment, condemnation. I have nothing against that. But in that moment when they heard the grace of God, they experienced a different kind of justice. Right order. The restoration of relationship. The reconciliation of sons and daughters to the Father. I'm making sense. If justice is right order, the restoration of things to the way God intended, then perhaps the greatest expression of justice we can ever see on the planet is the restoration or reconciliation of sons and daughters to the Father. Jesus on the cross experienced the greatest injustice so that he may pave the way for the greatest 
act of justice, reconciliation. The love for justice ought to be birthed out of intimacy. We talked about that earlier. But we have to know that every work of justice is unto intimacy. It's unto restoring that intimate connection between God and His children. Am I making sense? And here's the last thought. Thought number five. Our efforts to establish justice are limited at best. But the day of God's perfect justice is soon coming. The day of God's perfect justice is soon coming. That's a true and sobering statement. You know, that we have to come to terms. Don't get, don't get me wrong. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that when we declare, yes, we'll end this, things happen, stuff happen. But you know, I, 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 I am you know, at the same time conflicted with scriptures I read about the, the last days when he talks about the darkness that will be on the planet. I am conflicted when I read about verses where Jesus says to his disciples, the poor you'll always have with you. And I think there are some issues and some injustices. I, I truly believe this, that we'll be present all the way up to the last day. I believe we'll make a dent in some of them. I believe some of them will be solved in our day. But I believe that many injustices we'll begin to see in the last days. So the big question is this, when we talk about pursuing justice and doing the works of Jesus, why bother? Why, why bother do it if it's going to turn out bad anyway? Why bother doing these things if like everything's going to blow up anyway? Why do it in the first place, right? But I, th- I think about it uh, in, in, in this manner. You know, we pray for healing as a church and we believe that God heals people. But the sobering truth about every healing that we see is that healing at best is but temporal. A person can be healed and have his life extended, but at the end of the day, the great equalizer for all mankind, the person will die. So why bother praying for healing in the first place if the person is going to die, die anyway? But I believe you know, we pray for healing because you know, the Bible commands us to do so, but it also heralds and gives a foretaste of a coming kingdom. And that's why we do the works of justice. Yes, you know, some injustices cannot be solved on a systemic level. Yes, some injustices would remain all the way to the last days. But we continue to pursue justice because A, it is on God's heart and it's in His word. B, it heralds and gives us a foretaste of the coming kingdom where God's perfect justice will be on display. And making sense. When we read about the last day, the day of judgment in the book of Revelations, it is said that that day will be a great and terrible day. A great and terrible day. It will be a terrible day for all who are enemies of God, who have pitted themselves against Him in word or in deed. There will be judgment against them. Terrible day. But it will also be a great day where all who are beloved by God will experience His perfect justice. And in that day, every tear wiped away, no sorrow, no pain, for the judgment of God will not be against us, but for us. For us. The day of judgment, we will see the justice of God in full display. And in that day, all things will be made whole and all things will be restored. The restoration of all things. Justice is restoration. The wrong made right. Evil displaced with good. And sons and daughters coming home to the Father. And this is the grand work that we are privileged to partner God in. This is Mishpat. This is right order, and this is justice. Am I making sense?